Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I am the voice of the voiceless. Do I have everybody's attention now? Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's going to be the end of the world as you know it. Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio for July 8th, 2014. I'm your host, the Bleacher Report featured columnist Graham Gison Matthews, with a raw review here today for July 7th. But before we get into any of that, just want to discuss a few news items from over the last week, including the controversial 72 hours of WWE diva Emma. So dating back to last Monday um, in Hartford, Connecticut, the show that I went to, it was, I think, earlier on in the day that, well, the news broke on Tuesday, but the events occurred on Monday. And the news broke that Emma was arrested, and it sounded terrible at first. I mean, people have been arrested all the time, from Jack Swagger to Cameron, Alex Riley, one of the Usos a few times for DUI, um, possession of weed in uh, Jack Swagger's case last year. So it really, it sounded really bad on paper when news first broke on Tuesday, especially coming from someone like Emma, who doesn't, who, who seems like the most innocent person on the roster. That said, though, news later broke that we would later learn that it was a shoplifting incident and that it wasn't even her fault. And it was even, it was only for an iPod case. It was for an iPad or iPod case, whatever it was, that was at a value of $21. And I guess she forgot to check it out. Um, she purchased all these other items, so it wasn't like she would just walked in and walked out with the item. Um, I guess she was in checkout and something along those lines. It's really uh, hard to put into words. It was kind of a, um, a confusing series of events, but nevertheless, she was arrested for it. She was taken into custody. Um, she got a mugshot and everything and made TMZ, stuff like that. Pretty crazy um, incident, I mean, for something that wasn't even her fault. But, and that's why she wasn't on Monday Night Raw that night in the backstage segment with, uh, with, with Santino and the show that I went to, like I said before. But um, that being said, though, so it kind of seemed like the, it would all blow over on Tuesday. I mean, it kinda, it, the news broke on Tuesday. It seemed like a big deal. But um, by Wednesday, it felt like it would just kind of blow over. It was a small thing. It wasn't even her fault to begin with. And then news broke that she was released. It was said on the website. It was stated in a statement on the website that she was released by the WWE. It really gave no specific reason. It was just kind of one of those generic, we wish her the best in her future endeavors and stuff like that. It was pretty crazy to think about that. Something that Emma had done that wasn't even her fault uh, and a shoplifting incident and it was an accident, the whole self-checkout thing, whatever it was, it wasn't her fault. So for her to get released for it came as a huge shocker, and uh, especially taking into consideration all the other people that have done far worse things under their employment or during their employment to WWE that have only got a slap in the wrist in the, in the form of 30-day suspension or whatever it may be. Um, like with Cameron, like I mentioned before, I think it was in late 2012 that she was um, arrested or she was suspended for 30 days after um, getting caught with a DUI and also be, trying to bribe the officer as well. I think she got an extra fine for that. Um, Alex Riley, like I said before, was I think got a DUI in Florida as well. I think late 2010 during his push with The Miz. Jack Swagger is the most glaring of them all, if only because it was in 
February of last year, 2013, that his DUI went into effect, that that happened, and it was during the midst of a major push that he was receiving at the time. And because of that, because he was set to headline WrestleMania that year, um, he didn't get suspended, he didn't serve any sort of time, so to speak, um, in terms of being off TV or anything like that. He might have had to pay a fine, but um, he didn't, he didn't uh, serve any sort of suspension time or anything along those lines um, during the midst of his push. And it seemed like a kind of a double standard that WWE would take no action against Swagger for not only getting arrested with the DUI, but also with the caught with possession of marijuana in the car as well. So that seemed like it was a big deal. So for Jack Swagger not to get suspended at all, for Diva to get, or for Emma to get fired for over what she did when it wasn't even her fault, seemed pretty mind-boggling to me personally. And um, it, a lot of people were speculating, myself included. I personally thought it was a visa issue that would not turn out to be the case. It was never really confirmed, just kind of purely speculation um, by the dirt sheets and stuff like that. But um, I speculated that it was a visa issue on, would eventually end up not being the case, more than likely. Some people were saying that it was a budget cut thing, which was obviously not the case if they ended up bringing her back. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, you know, just kind of using her firing as an excuse to. You know, for budget cuts and stuff like that, that's why guys like Josh Matthews and that whole slew of superstars in June of last year and last month um, were all released. So I, I don't at all think it was a budget cut thing, and I don't think that um, that's a valid excuse. That being said, though, it was only maybe – I read that she was released in like 3 or 4 o'clock on Wednesday. No more than an hour later did I go back on the website – reading that she was reinstated by the WWE, which is really odd. I've never, ever seen anyone released and then brought back that same day, um, much less within the course of like an hour or two. So it was a really odd series of events, and um, a lot of people were speculating, again, myself included, that she would be brought back a couple months later. You know, like with Daniel Bryan and the whole PG era thing, and with the whole, you know, uh, the, the necktie violence thing from the Nexus angle a couple of years ago, and although he was released, he was brought back a couple months later. So I figured the same thing would happen to Emma, but she would eventually come back uh, no more than an hour later. So she's back under contract with WWE, which is good. And um, I guess she will serve some sort of consequence for her actions. What that is, no one really knows right now. That's just what kind of it said in the statement. I just kind of find it hard to believe that WWE would release um, Emma and then not come to the realization that they've suspended all these other superstars during far, for doing far worse things and um, just kind of having a double standard in that respect. So the fact that they would release her without you know, second thinking for not having a second thought about it is really strange, especially in the case of you know, someone's job and then to bring her back a couple of hours later. So it was really odd and that probably did more harm than good to fire her than bring her back. They probably got more bad publicity than they probably should have in that case. They probably should have just well enough alone and just moved on. But uh, So Emma is back in the WWE. That's the bottom line. Very talented diva, as we've seen in her matches against Natalia, against Summer Rae, against Paige, of course, of all people, at NXT TakeOver. Um, was it TakeOver? No, I'm sorry. It was Arrival back in February of this year. And it's not like she was in the midst of a big Divas Championship push or anything like that, that she'll have to be taken off TV or she'll be buried. She was never on TV to begin with. Emma was brought up to the main roster in January of this year. I was extremely excited to see her brought up. I think she was the first NXT diva, I think, to be called up to the main roster, if I 
remember correctly. Eva Marie, no, she does not count. She was brought up immediately. And Naomi, she was already in NXT, like the, the uh, first incarnation of the show back in 2010. And Cameron was like an FCW. So I think or Emma was the first diva or women's wrestler from the newly refurnished edition of NXT, that the new uh, version of NXT, for, uh, revamped, I guess I should say, uh, that was brought up to the main roster. And she did next to nothing upon her debut, did a few dance contests. People just never really got into the dance. She was paired with Santino, which was kind of the death of her character. And um, hopefully that's over with, and I'll get to Santino in a second. It's kind of a nice tie-in. But um, it's not like she was in the midst of a push, like I said before, and she's going to get punished and she won't get her title shot. She was never on TV to begin with, and you can't go any lower than being paired with Santino. So it, it could be far worse, but even still, with that in mind, I mean, firing or no firing, they still need to push this girl at, to the top of the card. I mean, right now they only have they have a couple stories going on right now in the Divas division, not all of them great. Um, it's pretty well documented. I'm no fan of the Layla and Summer Rae feud. But at least they have something good going with Paige and AJ, which is great, and I'll get to that in my Raw review. They've got something going on with the Funkadactyls. So it's pretty cool what they're doing with the Divas right now, hopefully. And also with Nikki Bella and Brie and Stephanie. So a lot of different stories right now in the Divas division. And hopefully they can keep it going within, uh, within the coming months. But that being said, though, hopefully they can push Emma to title contention at some point. Like I said, very entertaining in the ring and as a character. Some people... It's kind of hit or, it's kind of a hit or miss gimmick with a lot of people either loving it or hating it. I'm on the I'm in the uh, the category of loving it, and hopefully it can get over at some point. But uh, yeah, hopefully she is pushed and is given a chance to fully exploit her talents instead of being buried and not being on television at all. So that being said, moving to the next news item, as I mentioned, Santino. It was on Sunday that he. In a way, announces retirement. It wasn't official retirement, uh, renown, uh, an, an announcement of his retirement. It was just kind of a way of teasing that he might not be an in-ring wrestler anymore. Um, a lot of people speculated WWE on their website, in the video, in his promo. Um, some people that were there in attendance said, and, and if you listen to his promo that he cut at the show, WWE uploaded the video of it to their YouTube channel. But it's very hard to understand. The, the sounding of the mic is terrible. But um, that being said, though, um, he did announce his retirement. In a way, from in-ring competition, whether it's official or not remains to be seen. He wasn't on Raw the next night, which is really odd. Especially since, also considering that show emanated from Canada, um, his home country and his Character isn't from Canada, I understand that, but you know what I mean. But um, anyway, though, Santino cited the his most recent neck injury as a reasoning for his uh, retirement, for his impromptu retirement. I guess this was his third neck injury, and I don't know when he would have suffered it. The last match that he competed on Raw was on June 16th, 2000, or of course of this year, of last month. When he competed in that Money in the Bank qualifying battle royal, the next night he faced Rusev on main event. So unless he suffered a, an injury in one of those matches, I don't know where he would have suffered it. Obviously, I know they do live events. Maybe he would have suffered at one of those shows. But um, and I didn't know that he, would have, he, he, he suffered that many neck injuries over the course of his career. But, um, and I mean, I said this in my hashtag AskGSM video for this week. But um, in a way, I mean, he's really done everything there is to do. He made it to a certain point. He wasn't going to exceed that certain point. 
And I'm just surprised he survived this long. I mean, I was thinking the other day that they're probably never, ever going to release Santino. He's one of those comedy characters that will pop up every once, every once in a while that the people love, that the kids love and stuff like that. He's very endearing as a character that he's never going to be released. And his Cobra thing also, and his t-shirts also sell merchandise. I've seen that for myself. It shows that I've been to. It's a hot seller. The t-shirt, the, the Cobra thing, <laughs> whatever you call it, the sock. It's a hot seller, so I knew they wouldn't release him. But um, in a way, I mean, he's done everything there is to do for him to do. I mean, he was never going to win a world championship, and he almost did, if you can recall, at the 2012 Elimination Chamber event. And then he got that push afterwards as the United States champion. Although I wasn't in favor, is it uh, in favor of it? Um, as an employee, he did deserve it, being in the company for as long as he was. I guess that's why they put the championship on him. Um, to begin with, and that's also the reason why I guess he was put in that WrestleMania 27 match um, against the core, if you remember that, it was only a minute long match, but I guess they put him in that matchup because they felt they, um, Santino deserved a real WrestleMania match, and no, the match at WrestleMania 25 when uh, he won the, the, the Miss WrestleMania Battle Royal did not count, but um, that being said though, he deserved everything he got over the course of his career, multi-time intercontinental tag team and United States champion, as I mentioned before. Um, I and personally enjoyed my favorite version of the Santino character. And I'm not saying he's not funny. He just doesn't click for me as a viewer as much as he once did. Nowadays, his comedy is really watered down. It's not funny. He can be funny from time to time. I mean, I was recently watching back his uh, backstage segment with Donald Trump from a couple of years ago when he was fired at Santina. And then you see him coming to the shot, so kind of somewhat revealing that they weren't the same person in storyline. So I enjoyed that storyline. I mean, the whole Santina character was extremely dumb, but I thought it was stupid fun. I, I, I thought it was enjoyable, you know, going back and watching the Backlash shows and the Extreme Rules events from that year of 2009. I thought it was hilarious. And I also just recently realized that the theme that he used as Santina was also the theme of... Uh, 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 Billy Gunn and Chuck when they were attacked him a number of years ago. I just recently uh, discovered that through the WWE Network and uh, WWE Countdown, but uh, I digress. So Santino, his career coming to an end, like I said, like with Emma, it wasn't. It's not like he was in the midst of a major push that he wasn't uh, that he was a champion or anything like that. Like with Daniel Bryan, it's a completely di different situation. Santino is no Daniel Bryan in the sense that he's not the most overact in the company right now. And he wasn't just holding the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. But that was kind of the bottom line of this whole uh, occurrence of Santino retiring is that people are now worrying for Daniel Bryan that he might be forced to retire. I personally don't think so. And I do think that he will be back at some point. Some people were speculating that he might be back within a year as opposed to, the, as opposed to by the end of the year as opposed to within the next few months. And hopefully that's not the case. And I do, like I said before, I do think he will be back. But um, that being said, though, hopefully he can uh, rehabilitate within the next few months in Daniel Bryan's case. With Santino, he said in his promo that he'll have probably another role on WWE TV, as an, if not as a wrestler. And his regular role on television has really been downplayed within the last few years. He's been injured a few times. He took time off a number of... Uh, for a number of months on various occasions over the last three years or so. So that being said, I mean, I'm not really, I can't see, I, I can't say I'm sad to see him retire as a wrestler. And he is really a very good wrestler. Just kind of the gimmick um, kind of hinders him from doing more in the ring. And especially since he's a comedy character. 
But that being said, though, um, I can't say I'm sad to see him retire from the ring. I mean, I know it sucks for him, but um, he's done it all. He's never really on TV anyway. And um, he came back in, in Canada, actually, coincidentally enough, last year. And um, remember when he beat Cesaro on that episode of Raw? And um, he, he didn't really do anything for the next, for the next few months before, uh, before just now. I mean, and, and unless you count his uh, pairing with Emma of anything of note, but I personally don't think so, in my opinion anyway. But um, yeah, that being said, it sucks to see him retire. But um, as he said in his promo at the live event, he might have a role on TV as a GM, as a commentator, as something. Um, as a GM, I don't think so. He's been saying that in interviews, and I don't know. I think the whole GM position, I've said this here on the show before, but the GM position nowadays is just so completely pointless and useless. There's no point in, re- in bringing him back as a, as a general manager for either Raw or SmackDown. Maybe if the Saturday Morning Slam show was still around, and they had a GM for that show in the form of Mick Foley, and I think he might have been a commentator for that show from what I've read I don't know exactly for sure. I never watched the show, so I don't know. But um, if that show was still around, he could have done commentary for that. Um, I, I'd be fine with his commentary if it wasn't completely comedy-driven. And he's done commentary in the past, and it's just been just eye-rolling because it's not funny. It doesn't have anything to do with the action in the ring. And the same can be said for um, JBL, Cole, and Lawler on Monday Night Raw commentary, but Santino's different, so hopefully... If he was to do commentary, he could just be himself, play it straightforward. I don't see him becoming the next, um, becoming the next Jerry Lawler or Michael Cole on the Monday Night Raw team, but maybe they can put him on main events. Um, I could see him on Superstars with Renee Young, so congrats to her for becoming the first full-time women's commentator um, in, for, the, for the first time, I think, in 10 years in what WWE touted it as. Uh, maybe put him down in NXT as a commentator down there, so... There's a lot of things that you could do with Santino as a commentator, a lot of different places to put him. Um, as a manager, I don't think so. I don't think there's many I don't think there's much money in him as a manager. I mean, as a comedy character, I I don't know. I mean, in his current incarnation, I can't see him as a manager, but of every possible role there is for him on WWE TV, I could certainly see him as a commentator. And I'm not saying he should go away forever. I just don't find him funny. As funny nowadays as I did maybe five six years ago, and that kind of goes for um, I think I'm in the uh, in the my majority there in saying that Santino hasn't really been as funny in recent years as he was when he first started. The honkometer will go down as my favorite Santino moment. If we're talking about best Santino moments, the tea party was phenomenal um, when he did that in late 2010 with with Sheamus. His tag team with Vladimir Kozlov was. A lot more entertaining than I thought it would be, to be honest with you. But the Honkometer still stands to this day as my favorite Santino. Not so, not moment more so, but kind of shtick that he had as a heel. I thought he was much more entertaining as a heel than as a babyface. But that whole thing I thought was great. And uh, as I said before, the Santino thing I thought was hilarious as well. But the Honkometer really got over for as long as he was Intercontinental Champion. In late 2008, I thought that was a great gimmick for as long as he had that. And it made his IC Championship run feel worthwhile. I mean, putting the title on a comedy character wasn't um, that great of an idea, but they made the most of it with the Honkometer, and people loved it. And people really wanted to see him drop the championship for that sole purpose, for that sole reason. So, once again, sucks to see him retire from the ring, but he can always have another role on television, so that's always good. But... Thank you, Santino, for an entertaining seven years. Thank you for seven, seven years of service. And uh, hopefully we see you in some other role on WWE TV soon.
So with that being said, one more news item to, uh, to cover here. Nothing really specific, just kind of in relation to the WWE Network. Um, I guess the Tough Enough show that was brought back or that was announced to be brought back a couple of months ago. You can hear the clip on YouTube. I talked about it here on the show with RJ a number of months ago. But um, I was extremely excited to hear that it was being brought back. I loved Tough Enough in 2011. Um, I never watched any of the earlier seasons from the early 2000s. But I love the latest season. I mean, I know the winner never really panned out all that well with Andy Levine being suspended and then later fired. I understand that. But um, I, I did love the concept of the show. I loved a lot of the contestants. So I was hoping they would bring it back. I even wrote an article about it on Bleach Report as to how they can bring it back as a WWE Network exclusive. And that's what they were planning to do. That's what they had announced it as a couple of weeks ago in their conference call. But news broke this past week that... Filming was supposed to start this week at the WWE Performance Center down in Florida. However, filming did not start as planned, and I guess it was due to budget cuts, and they're going to delay it until later this year. No real date has been announced as to when it will be filmed. So that kind of sucks, because I was hoping to see it on the airwaves on the WWE Network by the end of the year. And as of right now, that does not look like a plausible idea as a plausible uh, scenario. So that sucks. But um, as long as it's getting done, as long as it does get done at some point, I'm content. Like I said, I love the show. The, the concept might be completely changed. Um, the lineup and stuff like that. Obviously, the contestants and maybe even the, the hosts. I don't know if Stone Cold would be able to do it. He does a whole bunch of other shows nowadays. Uh, Broken Skull Challenge and Redneck Island and stuff like that. He does his own podcast now, which is great. Definitely suggest checking that out. But um, I don't know if he would be able to come back as the host. That being said, though, I just really want to see it return. There's a lot of stuff right now with the WWE Network is being pushed back. Um, I guess um, with the budget cuts and stuff like that, the WWE Network is kind of in a state of confusion, so to speak, right now with the budget cuts and what they're going to premiere. And Legends House might be pushed back as well. The second season of it, I loved the first season. and I thought it was the best reality show out there today. Um, very entertaining stuff. Um, and hopefully we do get a second season of that show at some point. But the WWE Network for this week only is offering a free preview with, quote-unquote, no strings attached. You don't have to sign up with your credit card, and that's what bothered a lot of people whenever they would do the one-week trials and people would have to uh, um, put in their credit card information, and then after the first week they would start being charged for the six months. So a lot of people found that annoying, so that's not the case with the latest trial all you have to do is just make up an, a WWE.com account with your email address. It's as simple as that. And all week long, they got a stacked uh, lineup of programming on the WWE Network. We've got main event tonight, Tuesday. As By the time you're listening to this, it probably already occurred. But we've got a United States Championship match on that show between Sheamus and Del Rio. Bret Hart is appearing on the highlight reel with Chris Jericho. That should be great. Can't wait for that. Um, the WWE, uh, on the WWE Network, we've also got the Warrior documentary on Thursday. And I was just thinking a couple of days ago that I was excited to, I was getting the urge to watch it again. Um, I watched it the first time, cried watching it, extremely emotional stuff, I'll be honest with you. Um, did shed a tear while watching it. Great, great documentary and probably one of the best I've ever seen, if not the best I've ever seen. And I only watched it once, and I really want to watch it again. So hopefully uh, I can check that out at some point on the WWE Network. Also this week, they've got the Countdown Special, WrestleMania Rewind, Beyond the Ring on Friday, Saturday Night's Main Event on Saturday, 
um, Legends House Marathon. So a lot of good stuff on the WWE Network this week for those signing up for the free trial. Total Divas is now airing on Thursday nights. So make sure to check it out in addition to NXT. So um, I can't say enough good things about the WWE Network. I see people complaining all the time. Oh, it's getting stale. It's boring. If you've got every freaking pay-per-view dating back to 1985, how can it get boring unless you've seen every one? And even if you have, once you get the urge to watch them, all of them again, you know what I mean? I've only been able to watch, I think, 14 or 15 pay-per-views by this point on the WWE Network. But um, as of right now, I've been loving every single minute of it since I signed up initially back in February. Um, The greatest thing for any wrestling fan, um, new or old, if you love the new content, the old content, I love the specials, I love Countdown, I I love everything about the network. I don't watch it all, like I don't watch the Raw pre and post shows, Um, I just don't have the time, same thing with SmackDown, but I do make time to watch... Um, like the the Cougar Countdown for Vicky, I did make time to watch that. I watch Countdown each week. I don't watch WrestleMania Rewind. I probably should, and I want to check it out at some point. I even watch Slam City. That even wasn't half bad. Um, I watch NXT. I watch Superstars, one of like five people that does. But um, yeah, even still, I think the WWE Network is great. If you haven't signed up already, please do now. And um, that being said, though, definitely, 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 um, if you haven't already signed up, make sure to check out that free preview this week only on the WWE Network. So with all that being said, we'll move right into my Raw review for July 7th, 2014. Kicking off the show is Roman Reigns, not the authority for once, which was a nice, refreshing change of pace. And uh, this show emanated from Toronto, or I'm sorry, not from Toronto, from Montreal, Canada, so that was pretty cool. Canada is always a great crowd. This show is no different. Um, they were hot for most of the night. Really enjoyed the atmosphere that Canada created last night. But anyway, kicking off the show was Roman Reigns. The authority was taking a vacation. I love when the authority takes vacations because it's, nice, it's a nice breath of fresh air that we don't have to see the authority on Raw and opening up the show every single goddamn week. So that's always nice. But um, that being said, though, Roman Reigns was basically just talking about his battleground opponents in Randy Orton and Kane, dissing John Cena as well, before Kane interrupted and those two started going at it. And what was a very hot brawl, the referees came down to break it up, as did the agents and Fit Finley, Dean Malenko, Jamie Noble, IRS, Joey Mercury, a number of people, and they all came down to break up the brawl. Um, Kane ended up chokeslamming a referee, which was hilarious. And then Roman Reigns ended up shoving Jamie Noble to the side and spearing Fit Finlay. That was great. The most action that Fit Finlay has seen on WWE TV um, in like four or five years. So I thought that was hilarious to see Fit Finlay get speared in 2014. Um, Big Finlay fan. But anyway, I thought this was a good segment to kick off the show. Very hot brawl between Reigns and Kane. Reigns' mic work, I think, is slowly but surely improving on a week-by-week basis. The The longer the promo is for Reigns, the less of a chance he has to, uh, to succeed. But um, that being said, though, I think he has been improving at a rapid pace without Dean Ambrose or Seth Rollins holding his hands in each of these segments. Um, on his own, I think he's doing very, very well. One of the hottest faces in the company right now. So hopefully they can uh, stay par for the course with Roman Reigns. He's riding a wave of momentum right now. So he, hopefully they can keep on doing what's right, what, they're, what they've been doing right with Roman Reigns since day one. So a very good segment to kick off the show. Like I said, anything that, anything that doesn't kick off with the authority um, is a plus. It gets a thumbs up in my book. Up next, we had the Wyatt family, Lou Carper and Eric Rowan, taking on the WWE Tag Team Champions, the Usos, and yet another non-title matchup. 
Um, I mean, we've seen these two teams clash at least a dozen times over the last couple of months. I mean, it does grow tiresome to see them work together, but their matches, on the other hand, do not grow tiresome. The action is always entertaining. This match was no different. Great action from start to finish. Really enjoyed it, as did the live crowd. The final few minutes were fantastic. The This Is Awesome chants were well-deserved. The Wyatt family picking up the victory in the end um, with another non-title win over the Usos. The Usos try to make the case that um, the, the wrong, the illegal man was pinned as opposed to the legal man. One of the wrong Usos was pinned. The referee made a mistake because um, they are twins after all, so it happens. And Four years later, I still can't tell the two apart, to be honest with you. I mean, that's pretty pathetic in my opinion. Maybe I'm not the only one, but I still can't tell them apart. I know one of them has a tattoo or something like that, but I don't know. I can, I can never remember which one it is because Jimmy and Jay sound so much alike. But anyway, though, a very good matchup, um, very good opener for, uh, for, the, for Raw between the Wyatt family and the Usos. Whether this leads to another tag team title rematch, I have no idea. I would assume so, and I would assume that if they hold the tag title rematch on Maybe not main event tonight, maybe on uh, next week's Raw or at the Battleground pay-per-view. That's when they'll pull the triggers and put the titles on the Wyatt family, which would be, which could be awesome. But um, like I said last week, I mean, if they don't put the titles on the Wyatt family, which I'd be fine with. I mean, if whoever they put the titles on, whether it be the Usos or the Wyatt family, it doesn't really matter to me personally. But um, I would love to see the Ascension be called up and have those two teams for you, the Usos and the Ascension. Um, if the Wyatt family were to win, I mean, people, I see people saying, oh, well, um, if the Usos keep the straps, then who will they feud with? Well, they can feud with the Ascension if they bring them up, but if the Wyatt family wins the titles, who will they feud with? There's no face tag teams on the roster right now. Los Matadores are a joke, and one of them's injured anyway, so they're not in, uh, tag title contention, and that's really that all... That that comes to mind. Stardust and Goldust, I mean, maybe, but I don't really want to see them go for tag title gold. I love them. I love Cody Rhodes and Goldust, but they've just been so wasted um, since they dropped the tag titles. And like I said, time and time again, I'm just not a fan of the Stardust gimmick. It's getting over. Um, I just don't see what other people see in it, unfortunately. But that being said, though, um, it doesn't matter who they put the titles on, whether it be the Wyatt family, the Usos, Honestly, it doesn't really matter. I just love the matches they produce, but um, hopefully we can get a conclusive finish to this feud at some point in the very near future. Up next uh, was uh, Divas' action between Nikki Bella and Alicia Fox. Both Divas, as per the authority demands, they were uh, the authorities demand they were uh, scheduled to go one on one with both Divas having one arm tied behind their back. So Nikki Bella had her arm tied behind her back first. Alicia Fox didn't go through with it and attacked Nikki Bella. So, at first, it seems really odd that both of them would get their arms tied behind their back. It seemed to make it just as fair. Um, but when Alicia Fox, when when Fox attacked Nikki Bella, it made more sense. But that being said, though, I mean, I could see what this was supposed to accomplish with the authority going after Nikki Bella and making her life hell. I understand that, but this whole thing just kind of felt dragged out and kind of a waste of time. Nikki Bella just is not is as over with the fans as some people perceive her to be, or maybe as management management perceives her to be. Um, I think Brie is more over as a fan favorite than Nikki Bella is. We just have been given no reason to care about her at all. So therefore, I'm not, I just don't feel any sympathy for her whatsoever. And her acting is terrible. If you go back and watch her on main event from last week, and she has improved in the ring by leaps and bounds, but her acting is not. Um, when she was attacked by Alicia Fox on main event last week, she was just sitting there, 
not even crying. It was just really strange. She didn't get mad or anything. It was just really odd. But um, that being said, though, this segment to me just kind of felt like a waste of time. Like I said, I see what point it was supposed to serve. I, I, I saw what purpose it was supposed to serve. I just didn't see why it was executed the way it was. Alicia Fox, the whole crazy gimmick thing. Um, it's been going well for her, but it just seems like she's trying too hard at some times. So, I don't know. This whole thing felt like a waste of time. I see why they, I, I, I see what they were trying to accomplish. It just kind of felt like dragged out and no one really cared. But um, up next, we had Rusev taking on Rob Van Dam, his biggest, his biggest opponent to date, a uh, former WWE champion. So um, I thought this was pretty strange, and maybe this is just my logic, but I personally find Rob Van Dam as a bigger threat to my, like, say if I were Rusev, to my undefeated streak than Jack Swagger, who's been perceived to be a joke, an enhancement talent for years on end. And like I said last week on the show, I love the idea of turning Jack Swagger face, and he was nowhere to be seen on the show due to his past, uh, the, the arrest from last year with the DUI, like I mentioned before. And I guess he's not allowed in Canada, so that's why he wasn't on the show. Probably for the better, because he's a fan favorite now, and the whole American gimmick thing might not have gotten over in Canada, but whatever. Um, so anyway, RVD, I think, is a bigger threat to the undefeated streak than Jack Swagger is. So to feed RVD to Rusev within mere minutes seemed like a weird decision to me personally. I'm not, I'm not down on the idea of RVD losing to Rusev, um, seeing how RVD, um, being, as a, being a former WWE and ECW champion, a top star in the company, um, he's been losing a lot lately, so a win over RVD doesn't mean as much as it once did. But um, he still has great matches. He's still over. But um, I wish they just kind of could have saved this matchup for a later date. I don't see why they could have fed. Like a Dolph Ziggler I could see being fed to Rusev. Not RVD at this point. Maybe a couple months down the line or a couple weeks down the line after he faces Jack Swagger at Battleground, which is now official for the show. Um, I just thought it was a bit weird to feed RVD to Rusev at this point in time. That being said, though, it was a big win for Rusev, so good for him. His momentum has been going strong over the last number of months since his debut on the main roster. So his feud with Jack Swagger should be entertaining. And the reason why, like I said before, that Jack Swagger wasn't on Raw was because of the whole DUI thing and all that kind of stuff. So um, that being said, hopefully they can do more with RVD. He had a cool thing going with Cesaro a couple months ago and Bad News Barrett when he was feuding over the Intercontinental Championship. Um, so hopefully they can do more with RVD in a bigger role on the show, put him in a substantial feud against somebody. Against who? I have no idea, but he's still over. He can still have great matches. I just hope they don't completely utilize him as an enhancement talent for the rest of his run in the WWE. Up next, we had Randy Orton versus Dean Ambrose in a great matchup. Really enjoyed this. I've always wanted to see these two feud at some point. Two very similar gimmicks and being psychotic and just out of the box, out of the ordinary and just um, their in-ring work, they work two very similar styles, so their matches have always been enjoyable. I thought this was their best bout contested against each other to date. So solid action from start to finish. Pleasantly surprised to see Orton come out of this winning clean, um, emerging victorious in clean fashion. And I uh, did some research. This was Randy Orton's first clean victory on Raw since November of 2013 when he defeated Brad Maddox. And his first clean victory in general since defeating Christian, or his first clean victory in singles competition 
since defeating Christian on an episode of SmackDown in early February of this year. So it's been a long time coming for Randy Orton. He's being, you know, being given the fact that he's in the main event of a pay-per-view for the WWE World Heavyweight title in a couple of weeks, it was important for him to get the victory over Dean Ambrose. I figured they would protect Dean Ambrose in some fashion, maybe by having Rollins come out. But um, I don't think he lost by anything by losing clean. Um, Dean Ambrose has been one of the hottest baby faces in the company for the last number of weeks um, since the breakup of the Shield. But that being said, though, I think uh, I, I don't think he lost anything by losing clean here. He got his heat back anyway later on in the night when he attacked Seth Rollins. So um, that was pretty cool, and they continue to they continue to build towards that feud towards Battleground or. SummerSlam or whenever the match will be held. And I, I, hopefully they don't give away that matchup at Battleground. I'd much rather see it saved for, uh, for SummerSlam in August. Give it that big match fight feel that it deserves to have. But um, that being said, though, really enjoyed this matchup. Definitely suggest going out, out of your way to watch it if you didn't already see it. But um, yeah, great stuff there and a good win for Randy Orton as it establishes him or reestablishes him as a threat to the WWE World Heavyweight title. Up next, we had Alberto Del Rio against Dolph Ziggler in a quick few-minute matchup with Fandango on commentary. I guess Fandango is moving into a feud with Dolph Ziggler after the two faced off on Raw last week and Summer Rae made out with Dolph Ziggler. So I guess they're moving into that kind of feud right now. Uh, I, I don't like Dolph Ziggler being dragged into this love triangle with Summer Rae and Layla and Fandango. I haven't been a fan of it since day one, so hopefully they can... Uh, Get Ziggler, hopefully it's a brief thing. Hopefully they can get him out of there as quickly as possible. But this was a good match while it lasted. Del Rio and Ziggler, I'll never complain about their matches. I mean, as much as we've seen them face each other over the last number of years, I'll never complain about their uh, the matches themselves because they're always great. They have such awesome chemistry together. They made the most of the time they were allotted on this show, which wasn't much, but I still very much enjoyed it. So good stuff from them on this, on this show. Um, Del Rio ended up picking up the victory after Fandango served served as a distraction at ringside, and it was almost went ecstatic, um, thinking that the love triangle wouldn't be featured on the show this week. And then I came to find out that it was in the backstage segment a little later on in the night. So that sucked. But um, anyway, good match from Del Rio and Ziggler. Both guys are participants in the upcoming Battleground Battle Royale for the Intercontinental Championship, the vacant title. So um, I don't see either guy winning. And um, But that being said, though, even for Justin Roberts to mention that before the matchup, he said that this is a matchup pitting two contestants in the Intercontinental Championship Battle Royal Battleground against each other. So the fact that he even announced that was a bit strange. But um, at least they have a pay-per-view main, at least they have a pay-per-view match. Um, and just the thing with the thing with battle royals right now, we've seen so many of them since WrestleMania. We had the Andre the Giant, the on, Giant Andre the Giant Battle Royal at WrestleMania 30. We had the new battle royal. We had the battle royal on Raw on the Cinco de Mayo Raw to crown a new United States champion. We had the Money in the Bank qualifying battle royal a number of weeks ago. And now we have this battle royal, a battleground for the uh, to determine a new intercontinental champion. So we've had a battle royal every month since April, at least once a month. We also had one on NXT a few about a month or so ago to determine the number one contender for the NXT championship. So that being said, we've seen so many goddamn battle royals on uh, wrestling TV. Even Impact has one coming up in the next. I think this week on on the show. Um, but that being said, we've seen so many damn battle royals. I'm getting sick of it. 
But um, even still, Del Rio and Ziggler are a good match from them. And as long as they're getting a pay-per-view match, I mean, they won't win. Dolph Ziggler is a dark horse to win it, but honestly don't see him winning it, unfortunately. But yeah, anyway, good match from those two. Up next, we had Bret Hart making an appearance in Montreal. Of course, talking about the Montreal screw job, how good it is to be back, um, and all that kind of stuff. So a great homecoming from Bret Hart. Got a great reaction. He seemed right at home in his home turf of Canada and Montreal. And out came... Um, Brett, the hitman, Sandhart, um, after Bret Hart's music hit, and out comes Damien Sandow as Brett, the hitman, Sandhart, which was hilarious. Um, like I said time and time again, I'm just not a fan of the Sandow impersonation gimmick. I find it dumb. I find it a waste of his talent. But I found this impersonation in particular, much like the Mr. McMahon one last week, to be very entertaining. I thought it was hilarious. So a good verbal exchange from those two. Sandow, or Sandhart, I'm sorry, talks about how Bret Hart was never the best talker. Um, Bret Hart socks Sandow and says, yeah, but I was a good puncher. Um, <laughs> so that was pretty funny. So good segment there that leads right into Sandow's matchup with Sheamus, non-title matchup. Um, a good matchup from these two. They've always had solid matches together. Sando, San, I almost said Sandart again. Sandart, Sandow, whatever. Um, Sando, San, I don't know, Sandart, Sando. Sando, we'll go Sando. Okay, so Sandow, he had a good matchup with Seamus on the show. Um, he just never really hasn't meant anything less right now. So the matchup, you never really saw Sandow having a chance of winning this matchup. But it was good while it lasted, so... That was what it was. Hopefully they can find a direction for Sheamus because right now he's the United States champion. He hasn't been doing much. So um, he had that last feud of Cesaro, which I did enjoy. And um, maybe they do that feud. But the fact that Sheamus is in the Battle Royal at Battleground for the Intercontinental Championship is strange. It just goes to show how little they care about the U.S. Championship. And it was on the right track to meaning something again when Sheamus won it and he was beating with, uh, with Cesaro over the title. It was well on its way to meaning something again on WWE TV, but they've ruined any credibility it has by putting him in a battle royal for the vacant IC championship. He already has a title. Why does he need another one? So unless this, unless this is their plan to merge the two IC champion to merge the two mid-card titles, which I am in favor of, and hopefully if... Um, Sheamus is to win the Battle Royal, which actually now thinking about it, he should if, if Cesaro doesn't. Um, then they can have Bad News Barrett come back, and maybe they could do a double turn with those guys. They can have a great series of matches over the titles. So that would be awesome. Hopefully uh, they can lead into that once Bad News Barrett comes back. And when that will be, I have no idea. Um, it really was never confirmed as to when Bad News Barrett will be back from his injury. But um, that being said, though, I thought this was a good matchup from Seamus and Sandow. Like I said before, Seamus just needs direction. and he'll, Hopefully, he'll feud, He'll find a feud at some point in the near future. Um, I was thinking he should feud with Bray Wyatt. Um, after his six-man tag team match last week, they could feud over the United States Championship. But that doesn't seem to be the case anymore with uh, Jericho moving into a feud with Wyatt instead. So uh, that being said, hopefully uh, they can find a direction for Seamus. And Sandow is... Uh, well, Sandow and just being uh, flat out buried right now, and that's the proper use of that term because you look up the term buried in the dictionary and you see Damien Sandow given his treatment over the last year. So we go from that to Chris Jericho versus The Miz. Um, this is a matchup I've been wanting to see for the longest time now, dating back to maybe 2011, 2010 even. Um, I appeared in Jericho's podcast back in, uh, back in February of this year, and I asked him about his tag team with The Miz in 2010, as to whether um, it was supposed to go longer than it did, if it was supposed to be just a one-off thing or whatever. 
It was cool for one thing to talk to Jericho, um, being one of my all-time favorite wrestlers and one of my idols. Um, but that being said, so it was cool to talk to him. But and, I, and he did an interview with The Miz on his podcast a few weeks later. But they never really just got the chance to feud. And they had a tag team, like I said before, for a brief period, very, very brief period of time in 2010. And whether it be as a tag team, as, as a feud or whatever, I would just absolutely love to see... Um, a Jericho and Miz feud at some point in the near future. This was a very good match. I heard their match at a live event over the weekend got rave reviews as quote-unquote one of the best matches of the year so far. So uh, I, I'm not surprised Miz, I think, has come, as a lo- has come a long way as an in-ring worker since his debut a number of years ago, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that. Um, especially a lot of people just remember his stinker of a match at WrestleMania 27 with John Cena. I don't disagree with that at all. That was a terrible matchup. But um, I just don't think he gets the credit he deserves for being a great in-ring worker. And um, being with Jericho only enhances that, so I thought this was a very good matchup. Jericho went over with the walls of Jericho via submission. He picked up the victory. So Bray Wyatt's music hits. You see him sitting on the top of the stage in his, in his uh, rocking chair. And the very good verbal exchange from Jericho and Wyatt, with Wyatt talking about how Jericho, um, he's no longer the savior of the WWE, and Jericho saying that he was back to fight. He was going to take Wyatt on in his promise, and they were going to challenge one another at some point. I could see them facing each other, maybe a battleground, but hopefully they can uh, hold off on that matchup until SummerSlam. Someone suggested that they have Wyatt win the IC Championship at Battleground, and then um, and then go on to feud with Jericho over that championship going into SummerSlam. So that could be a great idea. I would love to see that occur. Um, that could definitely give the title some much needed uh, a much needed boost. So that'd be pretty awesome. But um, either way, whether it be for a championship or not, I've been really enjoying this feud though, thus far. Their verbal exchange on SmackDown last week was also very, very good. I enjoyed that. So um, so far, so good for the Jericho-Wyatt feud. Jericho has said in the past he's back to put over Wyatt and something that Cena did not do. And I know he lost to uh, Bray Wyatt at Extreme Rules this year, but it was such a fluky and terrible overbooked loss that it did nothing for Wyatt in the long scheme of things. So that being said... Um, very good match from Jericho and Miz. Awesome verbal exchange from Jericho and Wyatt, and I look forward to where that feud goes from here. Up next, we had AJ Lee and Paige against the Funkadactyls in tag team action. Um, the matchup itself was really nothing of note. It just kind of um, you know, killed two birds with one stone, and, and it being the fact that they furthered the story with AJ and Paige, um, having mutual respect for one another. And I really like, after the subtle turn from Paige last week, the subtle heel turn, that they are slowly building towards the moment when she eventually turns on AJ, cementing her heel turn and cementing AJ's face turn. I think that's great. I'm glad they didn't rush into this. Hopefully they don't rush into it next week by having uh, Paige defeat AJ, or uh, I'm sorry, Paige attack AJ, and then rush into their championship matchup at Battleground. Hopefully they can hold off on that until SummerSlam. Um, that'd be great, seeing how that, that is a blockbuster matchup. But I look forward to that, so... Good stuff here. It also furthered the story between the Funkadactyls and the, the cementing the split between Naomi and Cameron. They lost the matchup. With the win goes to Paige and AJ Lee. So the story was further there. Um, the cement, the, the split between the Funkadactyls was seemingly cemented. Um, I thought it was cemented at Money in the Bank, but it turns out it wasn't because they tagged him on Raw and Main Event anyway. So that being said, um, this did all but confirm that the Funkadactyls are done. Cameron is a much better heel anyway. She's just so easy to hate, so I'm sure she'll get over as a heel quite quickly, especially if, he, if she comes out to her own, uh, 
her own theme song if she comes out to her uh, uh, that that song, the girl by or boy by or whatever it was called. If she came, if she comes out to that song, um, she'll get booed instantly. I can promise you that. But um, anyway, I digress. So good stuff here. The matchup, like I said, was really nothing of note. But it, like I said before, it killed two birds with one stone and furthering the stories between AJ Page and the Funkadactyls. Naomi versus uh, Cameron at Battleground, perhaps. And maybe you can do AJ versus Page. But like I said before, hopefully they can hold off on that until SummerSlam. So good stuff there. Up next, we had another matchup between Kofi Kingston and Cesaro in a rematch from last week. Um, I figured this would just be Cesaro's way of getting his win back after losing to Kingston last week, but apparently not, because Kofi Kingston won once again. Cesaro went apeshit after the matchup, attacking Kofi Kingston. Out comes Big E to make the save. So, um, Big E, where he was when uh, where Kofi Kingston... I, I had no idea they were friends in storyline. They've never come to the aid of one another in the past. But um, anyway, though. So, good stuff here. A nice matchup. Big E and Cesaro will probably seemingly be feuding. Going into Battleground, um, they'll probably be clashing in that Battle Royal for the IC Championship, so it could come down to those two as the final two. I, wouldn't, I would not be surprised. But um, that being said, though, uh, so good stuff from Cesaro and Kingston. But um, in terms of Big E and Cesaro, the Mini Feud should do some good stuff for both guys. I mean, neither guy is really doing anything right now, so a Mini Feud between them should be good. Kingston picks up another victory. I think it's less about Kingston's push or um, him being pushed. I don't think that just because he won two weeks two weeks in a row on Raw, um, he's being pushed. And this is just a way of making Cesaro feel or look vulnerable going into um, his uh, the, the championship battle royal at Battleground. So it's going to come across as a bigger shock when he wins the Intercontinental Championship battle royal. So whether it be either him or Sheamus or Bray Wyatt or Jericho, there's a lot of likely candidates to win that battle royal, and hopefully one of them does win that battle royal. And uh, therefore wins the Intercontinental Championship. So good stuff there as well. Bo Dallas taking El Torito next. And um, on SmackDown last week, if you watched SmackDown, I'm not surprised. I'm, I don't blame you if you didn't. But uh, Bo Dallas took on Fernando, I think. Was it? I think it was Diego. No, was it Diego? I don't know. It was one of the low strategies. The other one's out with an injury. But um, he defeated them. They had a brief run-in between a brief encounter between Bo Dallas as well as uh, El Torito. So they followed that up here with a matchup between the two. Went no more than a minute. And the matchup, it was obviously nothing of note, but Bo Dallas gets more entertaining by the week. And it's funny to think this guy was so despised a year ago as a babyface, and then a year later he's one of the most beloved heels in the company. Um, he gets good reactions. He's, he's getting more of a reaction now than he did before, whether it be as a face, a heel, whatever. But um, either way, I think everything they've been doing with Bo Dallas thus far has been well booked. Hopefully they can give him a substantial feud at some point in the near future. Maybe he goes into the Battle Royal and wins the Intercontinental Championship. I think that could be great too. So um, that being said, um, so good stuff here. And after the matchup, I think was the funniest part when uh, Bo Dallas was doing his usual post-match victory lap. And then um, El Torito was standing up on the ground a little dazed and confused and groggy. And Bo Dallas, in the midst of his jog, knocked over El Torito, didn't even notice it, kept on running like another, nothing ever happened. So hilarious stuff there. Bo Dallas, hopefully they can keep the, uh, the good stuff going strong for him. He's been a very entertaining character thus far. And um, could Bo Dallas be the next Intercontinental Champion? It remains to be seen. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be against the idea. I think he could flourish in the role uh, as Intercontinental Champion. Maybe he can bring some importance back to the belt and give him kind of a push and vice versa. 
So, um, yeah, good stuff there. Very hilarious stuff. Really enjoyed that. That leads us right into our main event between John Cena and Seth Rollins. Non-title matchup between the WWE World Heavyweight Champion and the Mr. Money in the Bank winner. So, very good matchup from Cena and Seth Rollins. They had a singles match on SmackDown about a year or so ago, and it just blew me out of the water. It just blew my mind. It was a great matchup, and I was expecting the same here. And this was also a very good contest. Not as strong as I would have hoped, but um, and maybe they wanted to save that for a future feud or for a future main event matchup between the two on pay-per-view or something like that. So in that case, they did well, and I thought it was a very good contest. Don't get me wrong. Great stuff there. Of course, John Cena emerging victorious by disqualification after Kane and Randy Orton uh, interfered and uh, caused Seth Rollins to lose via DQ. And before Seth Rollins could cash in, out comes Dean Ambrose to thwart his plans. And before Kane could attack uh, John Cena, John Cena took out Randy Orton. And before, could, before Kane could take out John Cena, Roman Reigns came in for the save. Brief stare down between Cena and Reigns to close out the show. So, like I said, very good matchup between Cena and Rollins. Logical stuff to go off the show with. With Cena, Reigns, uh, Kane, and Orton all furthering their feud going into Battleground. And I think it's great, too, that they're all, they all have issues with one another. It's not just the babyfaces versus the heels. Throughout the show, they did a very good job of establishing issues between Cena and Reigns and Kane and Orton. And, of course... Seth Rollins being plan B if he were to cash in. So they did a very good job of hyping up the issues between all four guys and making it seem like it's every man for himself in the Fatal 4-Way for the championship in the main event of Battleground. It's still predictable as all hell that John Cena will emerge victorious, but I appreciate the effort, I, I appreciate the effort that, they, uh, that they went to, the extra lengths that they went to, to make it seem like they're, it's every man for himself in the, at, at the pay-per-view for the championship, that there's, there's a good chance that we could see Kane turn on Orton or vice versa, or Roman Reigns turn on John Cena. And Cena versus Reigns is a big money matchup I think they can make money off of at some point down the line as a one-on-one matchup. Um, I don't think next month at SummerSlam, but maybe at WrestleMania or a little later down the line, Reigns versus Cena is a big money matchup, so hopefully they can hold off on that until a later date. But um, a good way to close off the show. I enjoyed this episode of Raw. Like I said, the Canadian crowd was great all night long. Really enjoyed it. Um, they made the show that much more entertaining. The matches themselves, I thought the action was great. A lot of great matches between Randy Orton and Dean Ambrose, the Osos versus the Wyatt family, John Cena versus Seth Rollins, The Miz versus Jericho. So a lot of great matches on the show. The appearances from Bret Hart. The appearance from Bret Hart made this a newsworthy show, as well as the announcement of a new battleground match and new participants in the IC title in the IC title battle royal with the new match being added. Uh, it, it was Jack Swagger versus Rusev. So a lot of good stuff on the show. I thought it was a very good show. Nothing will ever top last week's in terms of being more epic or entertaining or amazing. But um, that was a post-pay-per-view show, and I was there live. So nothing will ever top it, in my opinion, or at least for right now in the foreseeable future, I mean. But uh, as a whole, I really enjoyed this episode of Raw. The Battleground card is slowly but surely looking up with the main event uh, for the WWE World Heavyweight title, the, vacated, the uh, Battle Royal for the vacated Intercontinental Championship, now also Rusev versus Jack Swagger. So hopefully on SmackDown, our main event, they can add some more matches to the show. Whether it be Jericho versus Miz, Jericho versus Wyatt, AJ versus uh, Paige, the Wyatt family versus the Usos, and um, whatever else. I look forward to this, to this show. They've been doing a good job of building it up, making people care about it, making it feel important. 
So uh, kudos to WWE for that. A lot of good stuff on the show. Suggest checking it out for all the entertaining matches, segments, and more. So good stuff there. And um, just a few minutes left to close out the show just with some random thoughts on whatever else is going on. Just kind of, uh, you know, we're slowly approaching the, the the New York tapings from TNA. I think they have one more show in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, I think that's this week on Impact, and every championship will be defended. Oh, and one more thing, too. I forgot to mention this. The TNA championship, the TNA television title, has finally been vacated, has finally been uh, deemed inactive by wrestling commissioner or whatever, whatever the hell his title was, executive something, um, wrestling director of operations, Kurt Angle, deemed it inactive last week. And I know people will make the case, oh, it hasn't been on TV for a year. Um, it, it's, it's been inactive since, since Abyss won it and stuff like that because he's never appeared with it on TV. I understand that, but just to go on the roster page and to see their list of champions and to see the 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 champions change and how they you know when their new image goes up for a new champion and they change that all the time and to see Abyss still listed there as television champion just pissed me off just like it when it said the um the the knockouts titles the knockout tag team titles were uh, still listed as active titles even though they were never defended or anything like that those were a joke too so I'm glad that was finally gotten out of the way. Um, I always hated those championships, the knockouts, tag team titles, especially the television title. They never did anything with it. It was meaningless since day one. So I'm glad they got rid of that championship. So uh, good stuff from TNA. I thought their show last week was pretty good. Eric Young versus Bobby Lashley, fine enough matchup. We have a new knockouts champion in Gail Kim. Good matchup from the ladies there. Um, some strange booking on last week's show. We have the return of Rhino. That was pretty exciting. So a newsworthy show last week. I enjoyed it. I look forward to this week's edition with, uh, I believe, three or four championship matches. I believe four for the X Division title, Sonata versus Austin Aries. World Championship. Or, no, we won't have a world title match, but we will have a battle royal. Oh, God save us all. To crown a new number one contender for the TNA Championship at a future show. I think it's it's already being confirmed that it's Lashley versus Jeff Hardy, so we kind of already know who's going to win. But um, anyway, though, I look forward to that. So we got a battle royal to determine a new number one contender. X Division title match between Aries and Sonata. Um, a world tag team title match, the Wolves versus whoever, maybe Bromance, not the Bromance, uh, maybe Bram and Magnus. And uh, for the knockout title, I assume maybe it will probably be Gail Kim versus uh, Angelina Love in a rematch. So good stuff from TNA. I've been enjoying them as of late, and that's going to close out today's show, folks. Thanks for listening live. Always appreciate it. Um, not so much listening live or listening to the podcast version, that is. Like I said before, we'll go back to being live on EC Radio in early September when I get back to... Endicott College campus, so very much looking forward to that. But until then, you guys can follow the show every week and listen to it every Tuesday as it's uploaded to nextairawrestling.weebly.com. Uh, going to WrestleRant Radio, go to the archive version. You can listen to every edition of WrestleRant Radio dating back to the show's birth in October of 2013. For further comments, questions, or concerns, tweet me on Twitter at WrestleRant. Um, also find me on Facebook at Graham GSM Matthews, YouTube, same thing, and Bleach Report, same thing. Like I said, folks, always appreciate you listening to the show. This is Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch you guys down the road.